This podcast is proudly brought to you by Infinity Media, incubating innovative businesses in the media industry. Hi, I'm Gordon Muller. I'm the guru in the Doc and Guru podcast. Thanks for being with us. For those of you who don't know me, I've spent over 40 years in the media industry in South Africa and uh, pretty much made it my home, my life, my passion. I have other passions, unfortunately, for my sins. I'm an Arsenal supporter and a Shark supporter, so we're going to do pretty much everything on the show as it pertains to media, marketing and money, but we don't take jokes about Arsenal or the Sharks. I'm Doug Mateus, uh, the doc on the show. Uh, and again, for those of you who don't know me, I've I spent 30 years in, in uh, various companies in South Africa uh, running uh, different marketing functions. And the last job I had, I was privileged in, enough to work with a team that took uh, the brand to the fastest growing brand in South Africa in 2018 with a 47% year-on-year growth. So that was a, a great achievement uh, for the team and, and, and I'm really proud of that. Uh, from a personal point of view, I do a little bit of cycling uh, and also snow skiing. So we quite enjoy that. But again, uh, today's discussion is around all things marketing and media. Yep, that's right, Doc. All things marketing and media. No subject too big, no topic too small, no subject too hot to handle please get in touch with us on our facebook page follow us like us whatever it takes we would love you to be involved with the show and uh, we really want to make it as inclusive and as energetic as i know this industry is capable of Morning, Doc. you looking, uh, I see that Robbie Hunter interview uh, really inspired you. You're here in your mammal shorts uh, this morning. <laughs> that lycra is very nice. I can borrow the fetching thighs of yours. Uh, good, and I'm glad this is an audio track only because you're lying. You know you're lying. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't walk around in my cycling tights, clip-clopping around in my cleats in uh, in a in a studio like this, yeah. Like, but uh, I'm uh, you, Port Elizabeth <laughs> boys, a bit dodgy. And I, and speaking of Port Elizabeth boys, I, I've got uh, with us today Stilly Harolumbus, the publisher and CEO of Daily Maverick. And apart from your interest in media, you two share an interest and indeed uh, an alma mater in Port Elizabeth. Stilly, yeah. welcome. Yeah, thanks, guys. It's uh, it's it's great to be here and uh, honored to be invited. And what school was that? I mean, just a matter of interest. Might as well do some PR. We're looking for a sponsor. Uh, we'll take we'll take your we'll take your old school at Port Elizabeth. <laughs> we'll yeah, it, it was uh, Pearson High School in uh, in PE. So uh, shout out to the uh, Summer Strand campus of uh, of Pearson. Plus, uh, plus the old university as well, Stelia. And firstly, thanks for your time, and, yep. and I appreciate you being on the show with with Gordon and I. Yeah, we were at the old. Uh, I was, it was certainly called UPE when I was there, and I don't know if it was called Nelson Mandela University when you were there, or was it still uh, UPE? No, giving away my age, it was still UPE when I was there as well. <laughs> okay, but but I think it I think it was the last few years. So, yeah. yeah. Well, a big shout out to the students at uh, Mandela Campus in Port Elizabeth as well. But again, yeah, you know, we're not going to reminisce about the past. We're going to look forward at, at the future. And I mean, exciting news, uh, Stilly. And I mean, Gordon, I'll let Gordon start the, you know, the, 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 the chat with you. But certainly exciting stuff in a, a topsy-turvy world of media. Indeed. And uh, just just to close out the, the PE uh, discussion, I had a year with McCann Erickson, Port Elizabeth in the... Uh, in the 70s uh, when it was the center of, of motor business it was a big advertising center and uh, 
Yeah, I, I'm not entirely sure there's much left of it these days, but it certainly had a had a heyday back in the 70s and 80s. But still, I see that uh, after qualifying as a chartered accountant, you describe yourself as now a fully reformed and passionate about the media business following a stint of banking in London. So fully reformed. What was it about you know banking that leads you to con- to conclude that getting into media was a good idea? Yeah, I think anyone who worked with me while I was in a in a finance role would say that there was a a disparity between the personality and <clears throat> and the job. And uh, I think that sort of helped me figure out what I didn't want to do. Um, it took me a lot of years of studying and, and and working there to kind of figure that out. And you know, when something kind of sits within you, and you kind of go like, yeah, I'm, you know. I could be good at this. I could get a lot of money doing this, but it doesn't kind of feed your soul. And uh, and so I began the search for for something a little bit more, um, a bit more meaningful for me. And uh, you know, entered into the startup space. And by chance, uh, from another UPE graduate and, and friend of mine from those days, uh, who was the original seed funder of the, the Daily Maverick Venture, um, we were working on a couple of other uh, startups together. They didn't go anywhere and. Um, Kind of said, hey, buddy, what else you got going on? And I said, well, I've given these uh, journals and editors some money. They could use someone with a bit of business experience. Uh, are you open to chatting to the founder? And I said, uh, yep, let's let's go. Had a coffee uh, with Branko Brickich, who's the founder. We had you know many many years of, of, of publishing experience in uh, magazines and books. And uh, you know, I uh, sat, listened. Um, I had no idea what what about the media world, what constituted good journalism. Um, you know, he sold the vision to me and, and I kind of sat there, well, this sounds less terrible than the other options available to me. So uh, let's see where this goes. And that was 10 and a half years ago. You know, sadly, uh, it transpires that many uh, publishers out there still haven't figured out what constitutes uh, good journalism. Um, but uh, <laughs> be that it is, as it may, in your own words, Stilly, you referred to launching a print edition of a newspaper as a madder than a bag of snakes idea. And a mad art meets science experiment. So I feel a little bit like I'm in an episode of Perry Mason when I say to you, okay, Stilly, what made you do it, kid? <laughs> yeah, there'd certainly be more than uh, a fair share of raised eyebrows at the decision uh, and at the, you know, when the announcement came. And we knew there'd be people kind of going, oh, this is, this is kind of strange. Um, and then obviously wrapped in the, in the COVID pandemic um, existence that we're living in at the moment. Uh, made it even more so, but we we didn't quite really uh, anticipate um, the the well wishes and the support at the decision um, from readers, especially. Uh, obviously, industry people were, were were more than skeptical because all the news was around cutbacks, retrenchments, titles closing down, organisations that have been around for decades um, also closing down. Although, you know, if you look below the the surface, you'll 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 get to a little bit more detail and see that those trends were already in place pre-COVID, um, and that these were organisations that had struggled to transform their businesses digitally, and um, and so it wasn't a, a smoking of the tea leaves that uh, got us mm-hmm. to this point, as um, some people might argue. It was more a, a different reading of the tea leaves, and from our position, which is quite a unique one, it, having been born into the digital fire of um, you know, digital-only news publishing uh, of politics and investigations in the Zuma era while Google and Facebook were dominating the world. So, you know, that's a, a pretty intense crash course in survival and hustling. And I think if you're going from there into the print world, it's a lot easier than 
than going the other way around, you know, if you've got a decade of experience under the belt. Yeah, absolutely, Stellina. I think, you know, we've, and Gordon, you and I have spoken uh, to various people uh, in the journey around around publications and, and some of them coming off and, and, and it's nice to see you guys are doing well, nicely, or at least, you know, you, you're having a full go at something. But I, I guess, just in terms of character and, and makeup and culture, and I'm always fascinated. I suppose if there's one pl- place or one company that would do it, would be you guys. And, and I guess the correct term, you know, we, uh, Gordon, remember last, uh, I think it was last year, we had David Blath on from Challenger Brands and we spoke about that. The 10 types. Now, I was just preparing for this podcast and one of the ones that really stuck, stood out for me was the enlightened zagger. So when everyone zigs, you guys zag. And I think still from, from, it's typically, if you look at the definition of that, it's swimming really against the tide of uh, what, what you would call conventional wisdom. So again, you know, I say well done to you guys, hats off. And uh, certainly just looking at two things, your trial, let's talk a little bit about the trial that, that's just happened um, and then your big launch uh, on the 26th. Yeah, so, you know, just on the point of the, of, the, of the zigging and zagging when everyone, you know, this may appear from the outset to be a, a, a hugely contrarian and it is contrarian, but it's not contrarian for the sake of just doing something different than everyone. There's a lot of thinking and research and uh, a lot and data that's gone into into making this decision you know it kind of starts with a hunch and then it grows from there and then you know certain things happen and the environment changes and behaviors change and um you know the pendulum swings too far the one way and kind of needs to be brought back the other so it's um you know it's, it, it may look mad and it, and it is contrarian but there's also you know, we're not without uh, having done our research about this. So, and then that's what the pilot was also meant to be, was meant to test some of our assumptions and hypotheses that we were, that we were making about this project. And, um, you know, in the buildup to um, announcing this, uh, we'd worked on a, on a collaboration and an innovative distribution model with Pick and Pay, where we would make the newspaper with a cover price of 20 Rand, we would make it available for free to pick and pay smart shopper customers and, and loyalty card holders. And um, in that process, we knew that that would help us get to a critical circulation number quickly. We would be able to lean on on their marketing and their um, uh, ability to contact customers directly, in-store branding, all sorts of marketing measures that we'd never be able to afford ourselves. Mm-hmm. And uh, we'd be able to to drive or ask our loyal customers, our loyal readers, um, to go and pick up their copy from the nearest pick and pay store. And in that process, we asked our readers to vote on which store that they would like us to launch with. And we used that data, that store data, to help inform um, our pilot store uh, location selection. So we picked 10 stores in Joburg, 10 stores in Cape Town. Um, and with data from, from pick and pay about newspaper sales and a couple of wildcard um, store selections, we were able to create a mix uh, and, a, and a variety of stores that we could test different volumes and, and test uh, printing and delivery and logistics and production and the type of uh, store and the amount of copies that we could move in a weekend. And, and so that all went into the pilot and that's why we did the pilot. And uh, off the back of that, we got some pretty amazing results uh, that we are over the moon with and that uh, Pick and Pay are also extremely excited about. Um, But mostly we also tested um, the demand for print. You know, there's been this sort of uh, uh, assumption that print is dead, it's a dying medium. And actually it turns out there's um, 
you know, while behaviors are changing, it's not the medium that's the problem. It's the quality of the journalism that is a big role. It's the trust in the titles that's been eroded. It's the impact of newsrooms that have been cut to the bone and beyond. It's the lack of training that's been invested in the development of media organizations over decades. And it's the lack of vision by the leaders uh, of, of a lot of these institutions. And so that's all kind of fed into this um, uh, the, the situation where we're seeing 10% year-on-year declines in, in print circulation numbers and not a lot of innovation. And so uh, even just doing a pilot, doing it in this way, doing a data-driven pilot um, is something that you probably wouldn't find too many examples of. Uh, in the in the print world, and so you know that was the thinking, and you know we distributed nine thousand copies across twenty stores, and uh, we had phenomenal success. We had uh, reports of people waiting at pick and pay at eight a.m. for the stores to open. We had one lady drove in from Worcester to Cape Town to get get herself a copy. Um, some stores, uh, you know, ran out at midday. Some stores that weren't even on the pilot managed to move some copies. We, yeah. we, we don't even know. <laughs> you know. <laughs> so there was uh, all sorts of weird and wonderful uh, demand side stuff. And um, we moved in total, I think, 70% of all the copies that we uh, delivered to the stores. As I said, some stores sold out and there was even one um store that had its uh, allocation of papers hijacked by a competitor who was handing them out. There's all sorts of amazing stories, I guess, new experiences now that we're moving into the print world that were that were coming up. But at the end of it, um, you know, you know, and 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 a really amazing stat was uh, from Pick and Pay was that one in at one of the pilot stores, one in eight shoppers that weekend picked up a copy of the of the newspaper. And um, you know, subsequent to that we've done our survey about ten percent of the of the uh, people who, who collected the paper responded to the survey, which is in itself a good indication of uh, support. Um, and in that, we we got an amazing feedback. Ninety five percent of people said they would become regular readers. Um, we had a great net promoter score uh, rating from them. The content mix uh, of long versus short form journalism, international versus local, all of that got you know really high ratings. And we also saw that. Uh, a big chunk of those readers made special trips to pick and pay to collect it. So all these things were assumptions that we were testing and, and we needed to see the, uh, the willingness of people to support this initiative, to support the brand, to support quality journalism. And uh, all of it was a, was a resounding yes for us. So we've got a lot more stuff to test yeah. ahead of uh, launch. But some amazing feedback so far. So, I mean, you know, the author, David Kessler, just added a sixth stage to his uh, his book or his concept on the five stages of grief. And the new stage is identified as finding meaning. And, and I, I'm not surprised that, you know, with what you're saying, because I think readers around the country have been trying desperately to try and find some sort of meaning or context for for the reading behavior. Um just, you know, when you and, and Susie White, for those of you who are interested in interfacing on the advertising front, you will know Susie White and her many guys is in, in media in this country. So if you've got ad sales queries, pick it up with Susie. But when you guys spoke to me, I just thought your, your distribution model was incredibly sexy to, to work through pick and pay uh, uh, smart cards. And I see on your pilot edition, 96% 
um, of the 70-odd percent pickup rate that you had for the paper were, were people's uh, swiping their smart card, which I think you know, makes an awful lot of sense. So w- w- is, there, is this something which is uniquely South African? I love things which are homegrown, um, or is, it, is this a model, a loyalty card model that, that has worked elsewhere in the world? You're listening to The Dark and the Guru, proudly brought to you by Infinity Media. You know, we, we looked for examples of a scenario where a quality news publication, newspaper publication was made available free to um, to titles and, and it worked with, um, you know, another brand to, you know, to jumpstart the distribution and to do something like this. And there were bits of the model, different facets of the model that had uh, had been done, um, but we hadn't found one that, that worked exactly like this. And um, we were quite excited to, you know, we always knew that we wanted to make it free. That was the, the thing, you know, we know that the, the, the kind of journalism that we do um, and in the country that, that, that we live in with, you know, such extreme poverty and unemployment, um, to only have our journalism available to those who can afford to pay, um, it's just not going to have the impact that it can have. And it's also... Um, becomes a disservice to to the rest of the population. So that's part of our part of our values and, and our mission is to get our journalism into the hands of more people. So we always knew we wanted to make it free. And then you know, speaking to our printers, you know, who kind of sort of nudged us along in this in this journey. And they were like, well, why don't you consider the fresh living model? And you know, and then it was kind of like all these lights went off, and um, we already had a relationship with Pick and Pay, who sponsor our food newsletter, and you know, I took. Uh, uh, you know, marketing executive John Bradshaw for for coffee, and uh, and and I pitched the idea to him, and he said, you know, this is so crazy, it might just work, and um, and and we love it, and we're going to get behind it, and we can see what we can do to support it, um, because it's important for a number of reasons, and it, you know, it also makes sense for them financially if it comes off. So, and it's a benefit to their to their customers, oh, no it's doubt. a benefit to them. So, yeah, no doubt. I mean, I'm a pick and pay. Uh, cardholder and uh, I will certainly be making a point of, of swiping mine. There's no, the, the benefits are, are very, very clear. I enjoyed the read. I must say it was a pleasure, or, and no names, no pactual here, but a real pleasure to find myself at the end of a Sunday afternoon with ink-covered fingers, for lack of a better expression. <laughs> yeah. um, and, and, uh, and that from reading, not from removing you know, loose inserts. But uh, as an old newspaper sales exec myself, I mean, I look at the average front page today and I can't help wondering what would have happened if I'd asked the editor when I was a sales rep if I could use his front page for, for an ad? So, you know, for me, one of the things it's, it's like biting into Harry Potter's chocolate frog is to see uh, editorial content below the below an advertisement. Now, that just drives me off, off the chart. So what's sacrosanct, silly? What, what's allowed? What's not allowed? You're going to be selling the front page? Can I put my ads on top of page three and you run the content below? Or, or, you know, or are we going to go back to basics on this one? Yeah, look, I, I, we, are, we are starting from scratch on, on pretty much everything here. We're building the model from scratch. Um, you know, I don't think, you know, the, the first thing that is sacrosanct is obviously the editorial independence of the newsroom. And, that, you know, and that's something that we've consistently maintained over a lot of um, a lot of years, but also under a lot of financial and, and political pressures, and you know we've never compromised on, on that. Um, also, coming from a digital perspective, where 
you know, the experience that a lot of people have had now is, you know, and we don't do it on our site, but a lot of digital readers will, will know the feeling of being bombarded by five, 10 ads on a, on a page. And, um, you know, that has changed people's expectations of what is possible and what has been, you know, the bar has been lowered so much. We're not going to go there, but this is also an ad supported model. So ads on the front page, probably going to be a regular, uh, a regular thing, but that's okay because, you know, we're making this available for free to people. This quality journalism it has to be supported through advertising. Um, there will be sponsored content in here that will be clearly labeled and we will try and find some innovative ways of getting, of uh, of getting print advertising across uh, that doesn't uh, overstep any boundaries of uh, uh, you know of integrity or of trying to hide things. But I think also that the last decade in in advertising hasn't seen a lot of uh, you know the schools aren't really investing a lot of time and training in it. They're almost um, uh, succumbed to the fact that the the industry is dying, and so they haven't really had a lot of um, innovation or, or a lot of development in the training of, of advertising in the print space, I think. And so hopefully this new product coming to the market will be open to working uh, with um, with advertisers, but also having come from the, the digital space where there's obviously a lot more opportunity to do a lot more. And we keep, and we've said no a lot of times in the digital space. So I think that will guide and inform what we do in the print space as well. Yeah, you know, I mean, talking about it from a digital perspective, you know, we were talking on an earlier podcast that culture eats strategy for breakfast. And I think it's interesting that it's the, the digital publishers who've, who've innovated into print rather than the print guys who've been really able to, to innovate into digital. It seems that that, that culture held, you know, held up the transition. But on the point that you've just raised on training, you know, uh, the price of being a digital native is that you're probably typically a print immigrant. So the real challenge selling in newspapers um, for publishers is surprisingly enough, not the media people who I think still have a, an understanding of their role, but the creative guys who've convinced themselves that nobody reads and print advertising doesn't work anymore, which is patently absurd when you look at you know, case studies from around the world. And I'm sure our listeners um, you know, on the Publisher Research Council will back this up in the millions of tweets which will flood this uh, <laughs> podcast. I hope you're all listening out there. Um, Doug, you know, you've, you've had a look at the paper. You enjoyed the read as well? Yeah, I did, uh, Gordon. Uh, and I guess, you know, it's positioning, Gordon, like in anything in any market, you know, we've spoken to various people through the last year of, of our podcast um, and there's still a place for, for quality. There's quality journalism, quality publication, uh, quality creative, all of those things, you know. And, and it's, a, it's that whole thing between where do you want to position yourself? What are you going to stand for? And that's why I was quite encouraged, Silly, one of your earlier points in terms of the seemingly the robust pilot that you guys have done, the research that you've done, just to get the data, you know, the data points. And, and maybe that's a throwback uh, back to your financial training or your background or whatever because I've you know I've been in organizations Gordon where we've done some big projects eh, where, and I hate to say it with very little data eh, a lot of you know sort of intuition and, and, and a gut feel and as you said it starts with a hunch but then you've got to layer and layer data on top of it to get to a point where you know it's a go no go to a top decision various scenarios scenario builds all of that stuff and again you know with short of repeating the point that we've made now so many times about the the art and science and i mean your book is the art and science is 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 getting to the scientific part of marketing the scientific part of media all of those things are 
have got a certainly, a, 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 in my opinion, a massive role to play. And it's not just a kind of, you know, thumb suck, uh, this is sort of what I feel like. And that's why it's encouraging that you guys have done the work. And again, you know, I, I certainly wish you guys well on, on the journey. Yeah, indeed. Uh, yeah. Just to, to back that, go, silly jump in, go. Yeah, I was going to say, um, it's exactly that and, and Doug, those things that you mentioned. We used to be like that. We used to do everything by instinct and, um, you know, and, and it took it took hitting our heads against the wall on a couple of projects that, uh, you know, just absorbed so much energy and time and investment and didn't go according to plan. And we hit our head against the wall and, um, and I think it was with our membership program where we somehow... Uh, over time, did enough research and enough head hitting to realize that uh, it needs to be done in a different way. And and the launch of that project, our membership um, program, Maverick Insider, went so according to plan. It's the only business plan I've ever written that's exceeded the the revenue targets that we that we set. Yeah. Um, it's the only one that launched uh, on time, and it's the only one that has achieved all its objectives and more. And um, you know, which is part of a, a couple of factors. But how we manage, launch, and monitor uh, projects um, has changed, and a lot of it is research driven and design thinking. Um, putting out minimum viable products, testing hypotheses, getting data back, and um, and we knew that for a print product to to be successful and sustainable, we would need to do uh, th those same things. Would need to be data driven and uh, would need to incorporate a lot of the the digital design concepts that we've used in launching new products and especially um, our membership program, where we've learned a lot about engagement and um, we've started incorporating a lot of you know, behavioral science and our marketing messages as well and testing them. And, you know, we've invested in the tools and the, and the marketing um, people now to do that. And so all of that is starting to come together. But uh, for a long time, uh, we weren't like that. And we were operating on, on fairly good instincts. But, yeah. um, mm -hmm. you know, we were just missing the mark too often for, for, for our liking. Yeah, yeah I'm just sort of quickly going to jump out of and get out the closet here as well by admitting that I had to actually ask so on behalf of those people who are also in the the dark on this one, why Daily Maverick 168? Right, uh, so 168, we wanted something to kind of stand out from the, from the crowd of, uh, news, of newspaper names and titles uh, and also kind of tied back to the fact that it's a weekly. So 168, number of hours in a week. Um, it's a it's a wrap up of the week. It lasts for a week and probably take you that long to read through all of it cover to cover. So you see, Doc. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I'm glad. Did you know that? I mean, I, actually, I read up. On it this I think morning. Susie Susie White actually put me out of my misery on that one uh, yeah. last year, and she did it so politely we as prepare, well. Go to we prepare for these podcasts. You know, <laughs> I just come in and make up things. So I did actually read up. Still, just practically from my point of view now. So it's a weekly. Uh, it's out on the twenty sixth. I can only get it at pick and pay. Do I have to be a, sh a smart shopper, a card holder, or can I buy it, or is it free? How does it actually work practically? So we're, we're launching in, in phases. The first phase is to launch with pick and pay exclusively and to make sure that we get that relationship better down and work out the distribution and the uh, the volumes. Um, there is a cover price of 20 Rand. So if you're not a smart shopper customer, you will be able to pay for it. Um, but I mean, getting a card and, and swiping it is so quick and easy now as well at, at any of the stores that it uh, just makes sense to do that. So and to get that uh, that value. Yeah. 
So, and, and as we saw, 96% of the people in the pilot had swiped, the, had swiped their cards. So that's the first phase. Uh, our distribution is not exclusive with Pick and Pay, um, but the deal of, of making it um, free to smart shoppers is. Okay, thanks. Yeah, well, yeah, that's great. And I look forward to, to the rollout and, and all the rest of it. But I mean, certainly, I will be going to Pick and Pay with my card uh, and, and swiping it and, and certainly yeah. reading it end to end Stilly, just help us out here. What's the sort of break even in phase one in terms of a viable circulation? What, what are you aiming for? Question one. Question two, one of the things which always kind of broke my heart over the years is what happens to returns? It seems such an awful waste. Given this mm, free distribution model, you want community engagement. The more people who read and enter the demographic democratic debate i said democratic that's actually the best <laughs> Freudian i'm going to quote democratic you debate gotta, you, gotta you can tell i've been watching uh, the anc on tv so i mean please tell me the distribution of of returns is going to be into communities or something i'd hate to see all that 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 writing that uh, debate that information going to waste that would break my heart yeah, so um, one of our key results uh, in this is to try and get to zero returns and to work on the most optimal and efficient uh, volume per store. I mean, we're looking at the numbers now, and it looks like we won't we won't be able to deliver the volumes that we did to the pilot stores, even the ones that um, that managed to move that many copies, um, because we need to get it out to as many places as well, and we have this tightrope to walk of um, geographic spread, um, you know, so that we're, we're servicing as many people as possible and as many areas and we're not focused on, you know, too many clusters. Um, so that's the one thing. And also it's going to be on the shelf for an entire week uh, as well. So we're hoping that we can get to a very finely tuned, um, you know, close to zero returns, but not selling out, you know, on, on a Saturday afternoon as well. And that's why, um, the data will, will be massively important for us to get to that um, to get to that situation. But um, you know, if we have a lot of returns, we'll work on a we'll work on a plan to do just that. It would be great to you know get them into use into into places like communities, universities. Um, there'll be those kinds of opportunities for us as we as we go on. And then to answer the question around break even, um, you know, we we picked twenty five thousand as a critical uh, circulation number that we wanted to come out the blocks with. Um, it looks like the demand for this paper is only going to be held back by the amount of advertising support that we can get. Uh, reader demand for this paper is, uh, I would say, 10 times that. Um, if we could print 250,000 copies, uh, we could distribute 250,000 copies and get them into people's hands in a, in, in a weekend. Um, but we have to wait for the advertising market, the freeze, to thaw after you know the massive drop in april and the lockdown um the, you know the the marketing spend freezing that, that that's happened and the revaluation of strategies and people to come back into the market so i think at 20 at twenty five thousand, if we stay at that volume removing that kind of circulation um we should be breaking even i think by month six which would be on a monthly basis i think it'll take us six months to kind of get there um, but what will happen, uh, as as with any other project that I've been involved in with my co-founder, is that we'll take that opportunity to to grow the product. So grow the number of copies that we're putting out there, grow the number of papers that we are publishing and grow the newsroom and the journalism that's, um, 
that's been that's been offered to the public. And so my job will then be pushed out again, and my break-even number will grow again. And um, but that's pretty much been my reality for for, for the better part of ten years uh, in trying to make that work, but always knowing that. You know, it is uh, the cause is being furthered. We're making the investment in future and building a bigger, better, stronger brand, uh, which will bring in more members, which will bring in more advertisers. And so we're playing the long game here. Um, so I don't think we'll be, you know, breaking even, um, you know, on an ongoing basis. We'll, use, we'll reinvest that into growth. And I think that's very important. But 25,000 targeted versus 50,000, you know, loosely undefined distribution is, is a good number. So just to come bring it back to advertising support, uh, guys, get hold of you on your website, uh, Daily Maverick website, and we'll be able to track information and or contact details of that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, people can get hold of us that way, the advertising interest or other uh, information can be accessed through through the website, the contact details, whether it's for membership or sales or um, any other editorial inquiries, uh, there's a section on the site that can do that. And then final question before I give it back to the doc for the wrap-up, uh, 26th of September is the, the launch on the sports page. Will you have a black sort of morning page for the Kaiser Chief fans or are you going yellow for, for the Sundowns readers? No, we don't want to give away too much just yet. <laughs> and also uh, <laughs> that, that'll become clearer closer to the time. Brilliant. Steady. Thanks for the time. Really enjoyed it. Doc? Looking good in Lycra. Love the shape <laughs> of those stars. <laughs> yeah, Stilly, thanks again for your time. Jeez, it's really exciting. It's, it's great to have such a new offering on the horizon. And, uh, and I urge people out there, please get involved. Go to Pick and Pay uh, on the 26th. Be part of the conversation. Get hold of Stilly. Get, get onto the Daily Maverick site. Advertisers out there. Here's another avenue for you. Strategists listening. Put it in part of your strategy. From my side, uh, Stilly, thanks very much for your time. Um, I really appreciate it. Yeah, gents, thank you for having me. It's a great and interesting uh, chat to have with you. Thanks for the invite. And to all the doc and guru listeners out there, thanks for the time. And so that was another episode of the Doc and the Guru. Please don't uh, forget to get a hold of us on Facebook, like us, follow us, uh, subscribe to the podcast. And then from my side, you can get a hold of me on LinkedIn, Dr. Doug Mataz. I'm uh, very active and very keen to hear about your views uh, and certainly will respond. And hopefully we can bring that into the show. Thanks, Doc. And it's uh, Gordon Muller, the guru, signing off. Thank you for being with us and listening into this podcast today. You can pick up the discussion with me on my Twitter handle, at Mzanzi Media. And I'd love to engage with you on any of the issues that we've taken on in the show. And take us at our word. This is really going to be an open forum. There are no subjects that are taboo. And we'd love to have some of the younger, more under-listened, if that's the correct phrase, uh, voices to join us uh, in this discussion. Thanks for your time. The Dark and the Guru, proudly brought to you by Infinity Media, incubating innovative businesses in the media industry.